My name is Rebecca Newberger Goldstein. I am trained as a philosopher. I spent most of my life teaching philosophy. There's philosophy as it's understood in the popular sense. So for example, when I get on a plane, I start talking to my neighbor, they ask me what I do, I say I teach philosophy. Quite often they'll say, what's your philosophy? Or they say, I'll I'll tell you my philosophy. And more often than not, it's some kind of motto such as success doesn't find you, you have to go out and find it. So there's that popular sense of philosophy, which is something kind of personal and subjective that's expressing something about the attitudes and life goals of, of the person. But that's not the way philosophy is understood in the academic sense. In fact, it's the oldest academic discipline since the academy itself was founded by the philosopher Plato, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, in about 387 BCE. And actually, the reason um, that it was called the academy, that's where we get our word, is just for most accidental reason that it was located in this garden that was dedicated to the legendary hero named Academus. The study of philosophy was front and center in Plato's academy, and it was never meant to be something that was personal and subjective that you could just share with your fellow traveler on an airplane. I, in fact, am very concerned with reconciling the popular and the academic senses of philosophy. And I'd like to offer a definition of philosophy that is capacious enough to encompass both the popular and the academic senses. Philosophy is our attempt to get our bearings in the broadest sense possible. We are the species that desires knowledge. And the kind of knowledge that we most yearn for is the kind that will allow us to get our bearings. There are three basic, very general questions, orienting questions. The first, quite naturally, is where am I? What is the nature of this place, this reality in which I find myself? Philosophers use this term, I like it very much, ontological furniture. So what is the ontological furniture of this place? Are there divinities, you know, one God? Are there disembodied souls? Are there the theoretical entities that scientists talk about? Are there genes and quarks and multiverses? And and the word ontological, I, I should mention, comes from the Greek. So many of the words that philosophers use come from the Greeks. It comes from the word ontos, which means being. The second orienting question is, what's my nature? Am I like the rest of what exists? Do I work by the same laws? Am I made of the same stuff? Or do I, for some reason, that is all of us, belong to some distinctive ontological category? And the third of the orienting question is, what is it I'm supposed to? to do with my life? What am I meant to do with my life? What ought I to care about? What ought I to achieve from my brief time here on earth? So notice that the last is what we call a normative question, meaning one that asks not about what is the case, but 
The third question is, what ought to be the case? It's normative. And this is a very, very important distinction within philosophy, the distinction between descriptive questions and facts that describe what is the case and and the normative questions that describe what ought to be the case. And as we'll see, that the normative is essential not only to questions of ethics, but also to the questions of epistemology that philosophers are very concerned with. And that's the area of philosophy concerning knowledge itself. Academic field of philosophy is traditionally divided into three subdivisions. There's metaphysics, which concerns descriptive questions. There's ethics, which is normative. And there's epistemology, which concerns a mix of both descriptive and normative questions. The academic discipline of philosophy is the attempt to get our bearings in as disciplined, as rigorous, as self-critical and self-questioning a manner as possible. It's committed to the view that we can make some progress, progress in knowledge, in these large orienting questions through such techniques as conceptual analysis, probing our intuitions and presuppositions, scrupulously examining the grounds and the consequences of the things that we believe, which is why the formal study of logic arose very early in the history of academic philosophy, logic being the science of seeing the logical connections in our trains of thought. And it arose, I was the brainchild of Plato's student at the academy, Aristotle, who was a very obstreperous student and, as we'll see, disagreed with his mentor um, on some fundamental questions, which is very much in the spirit of philosophy. The academic discipline of philosophy is committed to the proposition that there is something to be learned vis-a-vis our most fundamental questions. For example, the question of what is knowledge itself? We can push these questions beyond mere subjective musings. That, in any case, is the hypothesis, and you're invited with this series to examine it for yourself. Now, I know you're probably asking right now, but does philosophy ever make any progress. Why are you going back to Plato and Aristotle if philosophy really makes progress? The tacit comparison in asking whether philosophy makes progress is to the sciences. In science, we have a very dramatic demonstration of progress in knowledge. Science yields results. Science yields technology that changes our life. So to take an obvious example, the germ theory. It hypothesized that disease is caused by the invasion into the body of microscopic pathogens. It was a very controversial hypothesis when first proposed. The more popular position of disease at that time was the miasmal. Miasma means bad air, and it was felt that there was bad air hanging over, especially cities, and that's why there was so much more disease in cities than in rural areas. The germ theory was validated eventually by the success of applying it. 
For example, doctors washing their hands before they delivered babies, most especially if they just come from dissecting cadavers. By doing this, they were able to validate the the germ theory because the death rate of women who were dying from what was called childbed fever uh, plunged. If one makes the scientific model definitive of what it is to make progress and knowledge, that's what we mean, then it is trivially true that philosophy, not being science, makes no progress. Uh, But that's not very interesting. That's just to say that philosophy is philosophy and science is science. So what we want to consider is whether there are other measures than being demonstrated in technological results by means of which we can assess progress and knowledge. So that's a question for you to consider as we go through this series together, during which you'll be introduced to many of the standard problems in philosophy and learn how they've been pursued, often cracked open, to reveal further questions. What you want to be thinking about is there's some kind of progress in knowledge manifested here, a different kind of progress than the scientific one, and yet progress all the same. Physics and cosmology, uh, logic, psychology, computer science, linguistics, they started out in philosophy. It was the philosophers who first asked the questions and helped to develop the methodology that eventually made these questions non-philosophical questions and rather scientific questions. So perhaps one of the fruits of philosophy itself is the sciences, something to think about.